Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. Today, we are recording episode 119, and it's another one of our craft episodes. And this episode, we're going to be talking about creating a compelling supporting cast of characters, um, kind of following on from the episodes that we had on the protagonists themselves. We're now looking at the side characters. So that's quite exciting. It is. I had a lot of fun researching it. And my yeah. side characters are always, I guess, because you get to have more of them. It, they're quite fun to make and, you know, I guess talk about as well so I'm looking forward to this episode Mm -hmm, me too but before we do that we should probably have a bit of a chat about where our writing's at and how we're going with that yes so I finally finished editing The Price of Pandemonium um, Mm -hmm. our second (laughs) book in the Black Sky series Um, I had finished well Mostly finished it a few weeks ago, but I wanted to do like a proper Grammarly check on it and then wanted to go through and delete all of the, all of the that's and then the just's and then the so's and um, Mm -hmm. check for a whole bunch of other things. So I did that. And then my friend offered me to try out ProWrite on her laptop. And I was very curious about it. I've been quite curious about that software for a while. So then I decided, well, since Price of Pandemonium is in the editing phase, I should go ahead and put that through ProWrite as well. So uh, Price of Pandemonium has now gone through Grammarly and ProWrite. It was quite good. It found a lot of preposition mistakes. <laughs> we we punch a lot of people in the shoulder instead of on the shoulder, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like five or six of them that, uh, was that one, which I thought was really funny. And I was like, ah. Oh, Inside the shoulder again. Here we go. <laughs> and coming out of things randomly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is always my mistake. And actually, I picked <laughs> that up the other day as I was writing something. I was like, although actually in, in the case of the other day when I was writing it, I was like, I think, oh, no, I still needed the of. I did. I did add the of because <laughs> I tend to write like coming out the door or whatever or yeah. coming out something <laughs> and so then like when I caught myself the other day I was like oh yes I'm like one step closer to getting better at not just randomly coming out things and coming out of things yeah the other uh oh, the one thing that annoyed me a little bit about pro right though and I it got pretty frustrating was one the passive tense but that was fine because I could turn the passive tense off but the sentence fragment one was the one that I found really <laughs> annoying because it'd be like oh you my know gosh. especially in dialogue the character's like what question mark and they're like you are missing <laughs> a subject and a verb <laughs> consider revising I'm like no I don't want to or like great or something like that um mm-hmm. so that was very well, frustrating I mean we use a lot of uh fragmented sentences just for effect too <laughs> yes they they came up as well 
Uh, but it was the ones in dialogue I found the most annoying because the other ones I was like, oh, I could, I can understand. Like some people might, mm-hmm. you know, think this is a, you know, a full sentence, but we've chosen to, you know, it's kind of part of our writing style a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but not the dialogue ones. <laughs> sure. Um, so that really that really irritated me. But I did find a lot of good mistakes, which was good. A lot of double spaces, a few random missing quotation marks. Interesting that Grammarly didn't like pick up mm. double spaces and stuff. No, Grammarly didn't pick up the double spaces, but hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a, it was interesting. That's for sure. Although the thing I found quite hilarious was they suggest opposite commas sometimes. So like Grammarly would suggest removing one, and I was like, you know what, that does sound good to remove it, and then. Pro right would be like, I think you need a comma. So then I'd put the comma in, and then it would be like, actually, the new like, um, it'd go through it again, and then be like, I think this comma needs removing. I'm like, I should just put the comma in. <laughs> so there was a lot of those where I, you know, kind of decide with grammar. I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I will take it out. But you know, it was on the fence, yeah. and then Pro right would be like, no, put it back in. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll put it back in because I didn't really want to remove it. But then. It'll, it comes up again and pro writes like I actually know take it out I was like maybe I should take it out <laughs> very contradictory yeah like even the software can't decide <laughs> yeah yeah it can't decide so that was quite funny that's hilarious um but anyways I yeah oh I also had the first meeting with our critique group again because we'd been on hiatus for a while and I uh, gave them one of our ancient Greece chapters and that went quite well uh they enjoyed it and had some good comments and I had been questioning whether to end the chapter where it was um, and they were all like yes there's a good place to end it and I was like excellent I don't need to write another (laughs) couple thousand words to finish it so I just need to do a bit of tweaking and then you'll you'll get it Sarah and this week I actually I had to send in another one so I went back to one of our previous ancient Greece book chapters um, just to where they meet, well, that features Lysander the most to gauge what their impressions are of him. Um, okay. So that should be interesting. Yes. Um, so what about you? How's your writing been? It's been pretty good. It's been slow, but progress is being made. I am chipping away at The Darkness Set Us Free, our third book in our teen series. And I finished chapter one and I'm now editing chapter five, which is the next one from my character's viewpoints. I have rewritten about three pages of the start, (laughs) which, you know, I think that says something about the quality of what was there before. I mean, like rewriting three pages. Like I feel quite good about that because, you know, I had, it's not just simple rewriting. It's like rewriting and having to, constantly question okay where can I link this up how can I link this up um what is going to happen next in this how can I make it better than what it was before (laughs) what do I need to change so it's not I find when you rewrite for edits it's not as simple as just writing (laughs) if that makes sense so having done three pages of that is actually quite substantial and I'm proud of my efforts <laughs> and, so, and that chapter was very challenging regardless 
Yes, um, and there's still a lot of challenging stuff to go up. <laughs> but I think I'm getting, like, I think that was, like, the worst of it that I'm yeah. going through at the moment. So I think it's going to get yeah, easier. Yeah, from what so. I remember of that chapter, I think that it was the beginning that was the most problematic. So yeah. resolving that should make the rest of it go comparatively smoother. <laughs> comparatively. Anyways, we uh, should maybe continue on to yes. the main topic of this podcast. Yes. So as Sarah said, we were talking about creating a compelling supporting cast of characters. And I thought in the beginning we should first uh, explain what a supporting character is. So we're all on the same page. Sarah? So a supporting character is any character who isn't the protagonist and acts as a support, no surprises there, uh, for the main <laughs> character of your story. There are many different types of supporting characters, but all of them serve to help or hinder the protagonist from achieving their main goal. Yes. And some key archetypes of supporting characters are the supporters amusingly which is you know the friend the sidekick the love interest etc there's the informants uh, so like the mentor the prophet the teacher or the antagonist so like the henchman and the nemesis etc etc so we're going to dive into these different archetypes more shortly but before that let's have a quick discussion about why supporting characters are important to include in your novel in the first place Sarah yeah so I think we have kind of touched on this briefly before, but I think they're really important to reflect your protagonist's journey. Um, and they can be used in so many different ways, whether they're you're going to show key traits or flaws um, or to help your character work through a setback or a challenge they might be facing or to cause or intensify conflict. I know that I've said this before, but no man is an island and it <laughs> I also... thought you were going to say I love character <laughs> well that too but <laughs> I remember just having this discussion about you know like even if you've got a character who's by themselves like they still usually have had like some sort of relationship in the past or like things that influence the way that they act and Supporting characters generally enhance the realism of your novel if they're well-developed. You know, humans are very social creatures and your reader doesn't expect your character to make their journey solo. So I think those are just a few of the reasons. Did you have anything that you wanted to expand on that, Ashley? Uh, not too much more. We, as you mentioned, we have talked about this before, especially on the last craft episode where we briefly touched on it when talking about uh supporting characters effect on your protagonist and also like you said you can use them to highlight key traits and I think also emphasize decisions that your main character makes either by uh, contrast or maybe those decisions directly affect your supporting characters so they can help show that they mm -hmm. are also really good at help showing the transformation of your protagonist as well um, you can show lots of good character growth by having another I guess character there as a benchmark yeah definitely and 
I guess also they're very good for helping move the plot forward as usually events happen to them or with them, (laughs) which generally sets uh, your protagonist on his journey or helps push him on his journey or helps continue on his journey, if that makes any sense. So they are quite important in that aspect too. So now that we've all of us have a better understanding at what supporting characters are and why it's important to have them in your novel. I thought we could go through uh, the key archetypes of supporting characters. So we're going to go through each one, talk about what they are, and then maybe talk about whether we've used these types of characters in our novels before, how we found using them, or just sort of any sort of general comments about that. So the first one is the supporters. So (laughs) I always find it amusing. I renamed the second one, just putting out the informants. I called them the informants because everyone was calling them the information providers. And I was like, well, that's boring. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so there's the supporters, which are the caregiver, the best friend or sidekick, the love interest, uh, and the fool or comic relief. My take on it is that the supporters help your characters work through troubles, uh, celebrate successes, and steer them towards personal growth. But the way they do this is by being there and supporting um, rather than <laughs> offering advice. should make support a drinking game for this episode. Every time we say support, you have to take a drink. <laughs> yeah. Listen to this <laughs> um, on your way to work and <laughs> have a drink with us. <laughs> that would be great when you turn up at work. The supporters (laughs) often go through their own issues alongside the protagonist, which to me is kind of what separates them from an informant role, which we'll discuss below, um, and makes them more on a peer level with your protagonist and helps them to feel understood. So I think we would use them in our series. I haven't actually gotten an example. I think our teen series is a little bit different from the perspective that we have like several main protagonists. And so like, if you looked at like one protagonist, you could like view some of the others. Like, yeah, that's kind of as what supporting I characters. ended up doing because, because we have so many main characters in that series. I was like to the other protagonists, they are, I guess their supporting cast. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like, you know, Levi is definitely the full slash comic relief <laughs> <laughs> yes. in our teen fiction. And um, they're each other's kind of love interests and best friends. And <laughs> so, you know, like I, I feel we've kind of taken a little bit of a different type of route, but they're still there. And I think... You, you will probably find the same in quite a few like multi multi viewpoint books is that like depending on what viewpoint you're looking at it from the supporting cast is going to change right that's something that's probably just a little bit unique to multi-perspective novels <laughs> <laughs> yes I was thinking about that quite a bit because I was like oh you know we've got quite clear side characters in our ancient Greece book um, and then I was like, oh, but what about our YA? You know, they're all main characters. And then I was like, well, I guess technically to they're like our characters are 
different archetypes to different characters as well. Mm-hmm. To Grace, Lizzie is her best friend, but to yeah. Dylan, Lizzie is the love interest, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Kind of, kind of, different. and we will talk about blended archetypes. Although I've kind of taken a slightly different focus on it, but I think this is one version of kind of blended archetypes as well yeah Um, do you have anything that you wanted to add to that Ashley not really although I think I I I will add that often uh, the characters in these supporter roles are quite heavily I think implicated in lots of the subplots in novels Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I'd add that because you know a bit different to maybe if you're talking about antagonists and you've got like the henchmen or whatever, um, the supporting the supporters can be, you know, quite they're usually quite involved in your character's life. So yeah. I think are more intricately involved in some of those very fun subplots that can be running through your novels as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you've written here as well. I mean, I implied it, but, you know, acting as emotional support is a big role for them, (laughs) for the supporters. Definitely. I think I was thinking a lot about that with um, the whole Grace Lizzie. I just realized I've written Grave Lizzie instead of Grace Lizzie. (laughs) (laughs) Another great mistake of the month there. Um, The Gra- Grace Lizzie um, and also Grace Levi relationships. So definitely uh, her emotional support a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And then I had also written the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think they don't necessarily offer advice, and, and but they can still be like a voice of reason from a slightly more subtle perspective mm. than I think the um the mentor and like the informants yeah I think Jess comes to mind as voice of reason yeah a lot of the time right so the next archetype is the antagonist so these are characters like the nemesis the henchman the bully the skeptic and also can be the love interest too Uh, And without these types of characters, there wouldn't be any conflict. So your novel would probably be quite dull. And while they don't necessarily support your character, they usually have opposing goals to your main character. So they are there as something your protagonist must overcome or at least teach your protagonist some sort of lesson or, uh, you know, something along those lines that helps set your character on their journey. Do you have anything to add to that, Sarah? Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, they provide conflict, but they're always the ones getting in your character's way. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, without conflict or challenges, growth is impossible. And I also th- was thinking about this and I kind of thought that because of the nature of different types of conflict, you might find that your protagonist is not necessarily a person even it could be like a whole institution or like a social hierarchy but it's often useful to have a specific antagonist that represents the wider organizational situation um if this is the case just so that like the readers have something to focus on so 
I think even if you don't necessarily need like to label your antagonist as like, you know, a bad guy, sometimes having someone that represents the bad thing, <laughs> the yeah. the conflict and the challenge kind of helps. <laughs> Definitely. I was thinking about whether I guess we use any of these in our novels and I was thinking that we definitely use the henchmen as cannon fodder basically all the time. <laughs> the <YA book. laughs> well, I was when I was thinking about um like a situation or like a not necessarily having a antagonist and having more of a organization or sort of institution it did bring to mind the teen fiction book where I was like well yeah like actually I feel like the prime minister Marion he kind of he's more represents like the wider problem than yeah. actually being the problem if that makes sense yes <laughs> like yes. the problem is the war yeah <laughs> but like he kind of represents it <laughs> yes so that's a good I think a good example of not necessarily having a set antagonist yeah but using one to kind of hone focus mm -hmm. yeah and I think as our novels go on um, in the YA series we definitely use I guess the love interest as an antagonist a bit more as well um, mm -hmm. and actually generally use side characters more I think thinking about um yeah sorry I was just thinking about price well the world kind of grows I think you get yeah. that with a lot of series is that the world slowly grows and things slowly begin to unfurl and more stuff happens so that like a natural outcome of that is that you get more and more of these side characters cropping up I think that's a good thing though because I feel like any more characters in the first book would be overwhelming because there's quite a few main characters to get your head around in the first place so it makes sense that as you go you're able to introduce more characters without it being too much yeah as well yeah and you know like some fall by the wayside too along the way so <laughs> by the way <laughs> a kind way to, to a kind way to to put it especially with um action <laughs> dystopian novel like ours where they just kind of get killed off yes you know in other novels they might make a more graceful exit but <laughs> <laughs> alrighty so the the last archetype to talk about is the informant so these are the mentors teachers messengers prophet and also the skeptic sometimes as well so Sarah did you want to have a bit lead the conversation with this yeah so informants help the character to come to the right decision uh, they act as a sounding board hearing the character out and providing advice I think that their advice is not always taken or listened to especially <laughs> at first <laughs> but they can steer the character your protagonist toward the eventual path that leads to self-improvement and something else interesting I find about informants is they often end up dying or disappearing in some shape or form before the grand finale as the <laughs> protagonist must make the last step of their journey on their own. 
So I was kind of thinking like Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of Star Wars yeah. <laughs> style. Because, <laughs> you know, I think that's a classic hero journey kind of thing. But, uh, you know, in respect to our books, I was thinking about whether we do this. And we definitely do, even though we didn't do it purposefully. So in book one for our teen fiction series, that would be Jess's Uncle Ross. I was going to say everyone's favorite character, Uncle Ross. <laughs> I was trying to think about, like, I know it's not out yet, so everyone's going to be like, what? Um, but in The Price of Pandemonium, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it would be kind of like the group I'm just gonna say the group in the background yes I was thinking (laughs) the the group adult group in the background that kind of (laughs) sort of fade out fade away they actually fade away quite early but they provide the mission (laughs) yeah and then like the third one there's definitely like mentors and they kind of they don't they don't die off in the third one spoiler alert (laughs) But they kind of just split paths and like break away, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Like, so even though we didn't do it purposefully, even in the third one where they don't like, they still end up breaking away and like leaving each other before the finale. So I was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, it's really interesting that we've done that like three times without <laughs> any intention whatsoever. Um, it's only looking back, Sorry, you're like, fascinating. Oh, we did do that. Look at us go. <laughs> I'm trying to think about, I feel that we probably are on the path to doing that with our Ancient Greece book as well. I think Sophus would be considered the mentor, but then yeah. he's also kind of changes roles as well throughout. I was going to say, I think um, Helene's probably also a little bit in that role yes, too. Yeah. I think yes, because true. in that book, I main character doesn't know a lot so we have a lot of characters who are trying to impart some knowledge (laughs) mentor role at different parts yeah different times but he is still going to need to make his own decision by himself Mm -hmm. at some point so I think we still are kind of following that same yeah which is interesting about you, Ashley? <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, not really. We kind of covered most of mine. They were, I had some uh, highlighted similar characters as you did uh, from our teen fiction series. And I found it interesting because I also hadn't really thought about a lot of our characters as like as archetypes, like which fit into which role. Uh, so I found it quite an interesting exercise I was like oh informants um, initially I dismissed it I was like oh we don't have any of that. I was like wait hold on <laughs> I was like oh we've got, got these yeah. for sure and then <laughs> I kind I, of knew but and then I thought and I was like actually no hold on um and I started with darkness set us free and I was like oh that one has tons in it um yeah <laughs> tons and then working back from that I was like oh no we do have them we do have them it's just I had we hadn't consciously inserted them as you know this character is going in as a mentor or as a teacher or whatever it is so I thought that was interesting and like we had just talked about in the ancient Greece book because our well one because it's still a work in progress but two because our protagonist is new to the world there was a lot of a lot of them a lot of characters fill that role although whether they remain in that role uh, remains to be seen, I guess, <laughs> as the book <laughs> yes. progresses. Uh, so 
Now that we've gone through what the different archetypes are, I thought we could talk a little bit about blending archetypes and why or what the advantage of blending archetypes can be. Sarah? Yeah, so I think that sometimes the archetypes might be filled by one side character as opposed to being their own separate person. Um, You know, they are often not two roles at the same time during the book. Um, though so for example the antagonist might also turn out to be the eventual love interest or the mentor might change roles towards the end and become the antagonist Um, and I think one of the major advantages of this is that it makes it quite surprising for your readers so the reader like subconsciously will group your supporting cast into these roles even if they you know, don't really know that they're doing it. So that when the key, uh, so that when they change roles, the reader gets taken aback a little bit because they hadn't really expected someone to be helping to suddenly turn into the character's biggest enemy or, mm-hmm. you know, like it also helps. I thought the other thing that I was thinking about was that it also helps to keep your main cast on a smaller scale that the more characters you have, the harder it is for your readers to keep track of them. So sometimes if one character fulfills several roles, it can cut down on the total number of characters in your book. Um, But it really, as we'll talk about shortly, that really depends on the book that you're writing and the, the genre as well of the book that you're writing as to whether... Um, you need to cut down on your (laughs) characters or like whether it's advantageous to do that or not but yeah like your archetypes don't have to stay the same like it doesn't have to say like this person's this role the whole way through the book like they can jump and change between roles too so don't feel like you have to shove your characters into this box of I'm the mentor I'm going to teach you how this all works and then you know that's their role and that's it because it doesn't necessarily have to be that way (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about having one character like inhabit more than one archetype at different points in time to like cut down on characters that's quite interesting but it definitely makes sense though Mm -hmm. yeah I think it really just depends as as I said I don't want to get ahead of myself (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I thought that it makes your characters or at least your supporting cast of characters feel more dynamic and consequently they feel a bit more real because in real life people aren't just an archetype. Um, They are more complex and you want the characters in your novel to feel complex as well. So that's where I think the advantage of blending archetypes comes in. And the example I thought of was we, I kind of touched on this before where Grace is Lizzie's best friend, but she's also Levi's love interest. But as the story progresses and in later books, all of the relationships change as well. So, you know, her role can change to different characters. And I think that makes it more interesting because then your characters aren't static either. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of similar vein to you that as – our characters can change archetypes as they change as people which is quite interesting yeah so I think that's one advantage of blending archetypes and I think I don't know just 
you don't want someone to, you know, read your book and be like, oh, yes, this is blah. And they remain that for the whole book. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just simply being like, Levi is the comic relief for the end. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> constrictive. <That was> 2D. <laughs> yeah. Kind of how our book used to be. <laughs> yes. Until we were like, no. Um, just full of, it was just full of archetypes, basically. <laughs> yes. So as a final point for this episode, I thought we could tackle the question of how many side characters should you have? Um, so, Sarah? <laughs> so, again, it really depends on your book and or series. So different genres are going to need more or less characters for the cast to feel complete to the reader. Um, so, for example, I was thinking in fantasy where an entire world is created and which usually spans a long series or a lengthier novel, there's often going to be a larger cast of side characters. For romance standalones, there's a smaller cast as there isn't as many people needed to create the conflict that carries the plotline. And so, like, that was kind of where what I was thinking about is, you know, if you need to cut down on characters but you still want archetypes um within those like one character to fill a couple of archetypes if you've got a really intimate kind of romance novel that's only got like a few different characters and it's a very community feel and maybe they're I don't know like out on a farm somewhere who knows um (laughs) then you're probably not going to have like this gigantic cast of characters but you still might end up filling those archetypes in different ways by blending. So that was kind of what I was getting at before. So personally, I think there is as many side characters as your individual plot calls for, and there isn't a specific number. That That's not to say that you can't overdo it or have too few. <laughs> so I this think it's very much like my answer. I was like, um, <laughs> some. <laughs> I think the best way to tell is often in the editing stage. So did your beta readers get confused between characters? Can any characters be sort of amalgamated together for simplicity? Or were there too few characters that it felt like something was missing? Um, Do you need to add in a character to show another part of the plot or reflect something in particular about your protagonist? So those are kind of a couple of questions that I'd be looking at in the editing phases probably. I feel like that's what we're going to be doing with our ancient Greece book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think there'll be a lot of amalgamation with that book. So too. Be like, yeah, we really don't like this could be the same person. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, So my take on the how many side characters should you have? I've written enough to tell your story, followed by that's not particularly helpful. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But like Sarah, I don't think there's a prescribed number of characters to have or not have, but you don't want so many that it's impossible to keep track. So if you're struggling to keep track of your characters, I think your readers are also going to struggle to keep track of your characters. And I think that's a good uh, kind of like a benchmark to start with. Um, And that kind of leads really well into what we were just saying, which is you know, think about in the editing phase what characters you can consolidate. And as I mentioned in the previous craft episode, that I've kept a list of characters from our ancient Greece book because I knew we were going to have this problem. (laughs) 
And it's easier just to randomly create a character for like that specific role right then when you're writing um, and sometimes then come back later and have a good thing. Like, do I really need this, you know, seventh henchman from Lysander? <laughs> really? <laughs> Can it just be the guy from before? I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we've been particularly helpful with how many side characters you should have, but I guess editing phase is a good place to streamline it yeah well, i think we've provided a few good things to think about about yeah. your cast of characters and what type of novel that you're creating and what questions to ask when you're editing definitely so that brings us to the end of the first part of our craft episode about uh, supporting characters um, and in the next craft episode, we're going to continue the conversation, but get a little bit more into some of the writing tips about creating and writing your side characters. So if you would like to be on one of our author spotlight episodes, then you can go to lindersoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu and you will find a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at the aforementioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or you can get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Linderson Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm-hmm.